All right, Randall, one more time here in 2021. It's Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy's here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. 50, last one of the year. Wow, we got to 50 here in our first year. That's pretty fun. That's not bad. That's almost one a week. I mean, we're yep. basically one a week in the year of 2021, so that's that's pretty good, I think. Yep, and it's, it's around this time last year that we did our, uh, our our test run, our pilot episode, to, to see how this would all work, and 50 episodes later, here we are. Who would have thought? Lots more planned for next year. We're going to fire this thing up, and something that just kind of hit me here as we record this on New Year's Eve Eve. This is the night of the 30th as we record the Big Five O. We're about six weeks out from spring training supposed to start. So I've been feeling for a while here like, okay, after New Year's, we're going to get this CBA thing resolved. Well, next week, we're six weeks from spring training. It's kind of go time now. Yeah, I mean, as you said, New Year's Eve, Eve, that means New Year's Day is two days away. So it's going to be next Monday. I mean, Monday is is the first week after New Year's uh after New Year's. So at some point, we should start to hear some more information about, you know, talks uh, with the, with a new C- possible CBA. So it'd be nice to actually get that kick started. Yeah, you know, I, I think we've all said and I think everybody in the know has said that after the new year is when the impetus would really ramp up for them to start talking again. And you hope that's true, because as soon as the calendar turns into 2022, we're going to run the risk of potentially losing part of string training. And we can also, we can always lose a week or two of string training, but that's going to start to snowball eventually. So you hope that as soon as the new year is up, the two sides are going to get back to the table and get this taken care of. I certainly hope so. And uh, you bring up a good point, Randall. Yeah, the first couple of weeks of spring trade, it's too long. They don't need a full month's worth of games anymore to prepare for the start of a season. But once we get to around Valentine's Day, if nothing's figured out, now you begin to look at April 1st and go, I don't know that there's going to be enough time to get a season in here. So not so much the next couple of days, but I think certainly once we get into Monday and the new year picks up, it's got to be go time for these guys. Let's try and get a full spring training. Let's not just assume that it's going to be March 1st before anything gets done. And we, you talk about, I mean, if nothing gets done by February 14th, as you're mentioning Valentine's Day, I mean, there's still a lot of players out there that are free agents that don't have organizations that don't know where they would be going for a season. So that that's going to be kind of a condensed process. Um, And, you know, as I said, possibly you could see the MLBPA start to take steps in uh, terms of, you know, getting like workouts together, not just for free agents who are trying to show off, but just in, for guys in general being like, cause at some point they're going to have to start ramping up. Even if there is no spring training, they have to start getting prepared. So you could see some MLBPA type workout camps. Yeah. I think that'll be a, a good bellwether to watch. We, we talked before the lockout about the fact that these teams were committing all this money in a, what seemed like a very short time. There was a scramble of a week or two weeks. And a, some of us thought that that was the case because both sides thought that this would get worked out, that, that you wouldn't see this flurry of deals if they didn't think there was going to be a season of pretty good length eventually. I think that'll be a really good bellwether. If we start hearing that the Players Association has organized camps, maybe in Texas, uh, this kind of right between Florida and Arizona, I think if you see them start to organize those, that's not going to be a great sign because they think that the we're going to start losing spring training and maybe games after that. So I think that'll be a really good canary in the coal mine, as it were, Ooh. to start looking for after after the holiday. You can always count on Randall for a bird reference, Jeremy. He's got those bird references he can pull out. He, he loves birds, except for, you know, the red birds down south. Even yeah. He might I have love- a... I love most birds. Yeah, he doesn't love those birds. So, but he, he's always on the spot for them to make sure we all know that they're out there and that they suck. 
Yes. <laughs> and he's always got two birds ready to oh, he's always got two birds ready to go. And mostly presented to me. That's right. I'm like I'm like Odin of the Norse pantheon. I have two ravens, two birds, always ready to send a message if need be. First spring training game slated to be Saturday, February 26th, Cubs versus Dodgers at Sloan Park in Mesa. I was thinking for a minute there, I was about to say ho-ho cam, like, whoa, long days since they've been at that ballpark. But we'll see if February 26th happens. The Cubs open up with the Dodgers, Mariners, Diamondbacks, all that fun with the Cactus League schedule. I would like to get to Arizona in March. It's a real nice time to get down there. Maybe we'll have something figured out, and that's something that we can pull off here looking into next season. But it's going to be certainly, once they get this figured out, I know I'm going to complain about certain aspects of it. There's going to be things in the agreement that I think the players should have fought harder for. All that's going to settle, though. And we're going to have labor peace and baseball for multiple seasons to look forward to. So that's something to look forward to in 2022. Yeah, once this this gets settled, we'll have five years for the most part of... Labor peace, hopefully no active gods come and disrupt another season again. Yeah. But, you know, so it should be a, a, a good time. And at some point, you know, you expect Rob Manfred might unilaterally change some rules. But still, you know, it's going to be it just needs to get sorted out. And then baseball will be back and then we'll have real fun things to talk and look forward to. Yeah. And, you know, this is an exciting time for the Cubs as well. We feel like there's a new window opening up, whether or not they're really competing this year or that's still a year out. We're going to see how the rest of the offseason plays out. But Labor peace, a new Cubs window, a resurgence in the farm system, all that's good and that's exciting. And that's something that I think we'll be looking forward to for multiple seasons at Wrigley Field. Yeah, it's a good yeah. time to be a Cubs fan, in my opinion. I know some people are out there, they're looking down on it the way that last year went, you know, the trades, Tom Ricketts not spending, but I I think the future looks bright. I don't think it's going to be a long term thing to get there. And I think Jed Hoyer's out there really trying to improve this organization. I'm with you. One of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute is revisiting the U Darvish trade. That kind of started all of this one year ago. How much has changed in the Cubs organization? How much has changed for U Darvish? We are going to get to that, but I want to start with something that I think is a little bit more interesting. I love a good conspiracy. You both know that. I'm always pitching conspiracies to Randall. I love hearing about them. I love thinking about them. Jeremy, you've got a baseball conspiracy here. Is it, am I, am I, summarizing this accurately and please correct me if i'm wrong i sure you I believe mean, yeah i mean i think should... i let me, me, go let me just put it out there so it. the audience knows what we're talking about and then you can defend it or not you believe that the cubs are conspiring with certain local media members to negotiate a contract with carlos correa through the media because teams can't talk to players right now during the lockout is this true I think it's a uh, yeah sure the basis of, of it is true. I think you put a little spin on there in terms of making it seem like you know some dark shadows things going on, but I I do believe we have a certain reporter who's been out you know talking on the radio going on Houston radio to talk Carlos Correa. Okay, You're talking Bruce Levine. I'm talking Bruce Levine, who you know a long term baseball reporter in the in the organization or excuse me in the Chicagoland area. Um, so he and he's been talking. And he's been mentioning a lot of specifics, right? He's he's talking about like contract offers and what the Cubs would be like. He's not talking kind of theoreticals almost. He's almost talking like, you know, specific numbers he's mentioning in years and certain things. And for a guy who you also have to remember is kind of on Cubs payroll who works at Marquee Network. Mm -hmm. So he's not just some guy um, to me with the with the way that 
the off season is guys can't talk. I, I, it, I think it's kind of, it wouldn't be surprising me or even, I think kind of even likely that, you know, certain members of the organization probably have leaked out certain things to Bruce Levine and he goes on the air, you know, just to, just to put it out there, just so Carlos Correa knows like, Hey, this is what we're thinking. Cause I mean, I'm sure they have some back channel ways of communicating um, probably kept more on the down low. But, you know, we, we can't really publicly. And so I wouldn't I, I think it's kind of likely that the Cubs have leaked a little bit just so just so Carlos Correa knows where the Cubs are standing. I, I think they are trying to speak to him a little bit through the media with Bruce, who is a Cubs, who's a marquee employee. And he and it's, so it's not really I don't think it's too fat, far fetched or out there. So I'll, I'll, I'll be contrarian here, Jeremy, because, you know, every, every segment needs a contrarian. Well, I, I think it's probably like an 80, 90 percent chance. <laughs> OK, so I'll, I'll say I don't think the chances are that high. I don't strictly mm. disagree that there's probably a little bit of back channel communication. I am going to say I don't know that they're necessarily communicating through the media using Bruce Levine as this conduit. It would not surprise me if some of the things he's saying have a kernel of truth to them. But. I tend to fall more on the side of the fact that this is information he has and he's putting it out there because that's what he does as a reporter, more so than the conspiracy of the Cubs using it as a direct negotiation tactic. Um, But, you know, it's strange times right now. Maybe it is true. I'm not saying it's not. I just tend to err more on the side of less conspiratory than than a different opinion. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm not like going full, like I said, to run, you know, it's not like big dark shelves, but there are definitely times where organiz- I mean, organizations, agents, whatever, they're leaking things to reporters for their own services. And reporters are obviously going to report it because it's it benefits them um, and they have information. And so it's it would not be surprising to me at all where the Cubs are putting certain things out there through certain players. You know, I'm not saying like they're having some major negotiation through the like then Carlos Correa is going to come back on and tell somebody. But I think, I think they want it to be known. I think the Cubs want it to be known what they are willing to do, what they are interested in. And I think they want it out there. And I think they want, you know, people's ears to perk up. And I think they want Carlos Correa's ears to perk up. And I, I think that I would not surprise me if, if I'm not saying like this is some big orchestrated thing by the Cubs, but they're like, okay, let's let Bruce know these couple things, and then he'll just go on the radio and talk about them. And he knows some specifics, and I think it's it serves their purpose for him to do these things, and for I, I just think it serves their purpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm not denying at all that there are certain reporters who basically do nothing but uncritically repeat what agents and uh, organizations tell them. There are members of the national media who are composed entirely of that sort of information. I just tend to think it's not quite as conspiratory. So I'm not strictly disagreeing with you, I guess. I'm not uh, I'm not being as contrarian as originally promised. I don't I guess I just don't agree with you to that same extent. Ronan, you love conspiracy theories. You were practically giddy introducing this segment. Where do you fall on this particular on this particular matter? Well, I I one person here has twice mentioned shadowy figures and neither time it has been me. Yeah. So Jeremy, this notion that a conspiracy is inherently a bad thing or evil, or there's nefarious characters acting, we're not on the same page with that at all. I absolutely agree with you that the Cubs are using all of their resources, including certain members of the media that are on payroll to put certain narratives out there. Of course they're doing that. I just love a good conspiracy. And I love the notion of Jed sitting in an office across from Wrigley Field going, all right, we got to talk to Carlos Correa. We want to let him know that we're not so big on this nine or 10 year deal thing. Who do we turn to? 
and some intern raises his hand and goes, Bruce Levine, that's the guy. He's the one who's going to put it out there. I love all of that. The optics of that are a lot of fun for me. See, for me, I'm, I'm picturing Jed in the meeting just being like, hey, let Bruce know. We got to let Bruce know. You know, he's, he's <laughs> their designated. Bruce. Their designated media representative. He yeah. works in their all in the studio. He's right there. Like he's not down the. He's right down the street. So like you know, if it was, a I I don't think I mean he would be the guy. Like if the Cubs are leaking information to a certain reporter, I think it would be the guy who is on there on Marquee Network. All right. Well, again, I'm not strictly disagreeing. I guess I'm just not agreeing as much. Maybe instead of Bruce, they could put their contract offer to Correa on a spotlight and shine that spotlight on a mm -hmm. bank of clouds off the top of Wrigley. I think that's a, a time proven method in certain other cities for getting the people you want to show up. I think the Cubs would do well to try that. And I, I also think it, um, not just this whole uh, whether or not they're leaking, but I, th I think it'd be worth also to maybe discuss a little bit of what Bruce was saying. Which was, you know, he was talking about, you know, the Cubs, like I, you know, thought last week or whatever, maybe like a five-year deal. I think he was even mentioning Cubs going up to like six, seven-year deals, but putting like an opt-out after year two or three, which, you know, would be kind of like what they did with Stroman a little bit. And I, I think that's an interesting offer. And I think, you know, that would be something I think Carlos Correa would probably consider. Like it would be worth it for him to get, if he could be a free agent back, you know, at, at age 29, age 30 again, and, or to have a pretty big payroll. I mean, cause you're or a pretty big paycheck. You assume it's going to be something like 38, $39 million over that period of time. So, you know, that might be something he seriously considers. Can either of you think over the years, particularly like the more recent years, maybe the last 20 or 30 years of a Cubs related conspiracy that ended up being true, or at least a good one, one that kind of had the imagination of fans. Uh, that ended up being true. I'm coming up blank, but I, I do, of course, remember the Jake Peavy free agent saga ahead mm. of the 2009 season. He was seen in a bar singing Go Cubs Go and all of that. And those negotiations seemingly dragged on for months that the Cubs traded Mark DeRosa to Cleveland for prospects that they could then turn and flip for Jake PV. So I guess he was trade bait more so than a free agent, but that's the one that stands out to me. I, it clearly did not end up being true in that it ended up being consummated but clearly there was something to that but not enough to that 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 deal ended up getting done that's the one that jumps out to mm. me I, I i don't know i don't think this would qualify as a conspiracy but if we're just going to talk about like unsubstantiated rumors that end up being true uh how about theo epstein being spotted at a starbucks outside of wrigley field yeah and uh and then admitting to it after being hired that yeah that was actually him he was at that starbucks somebody spotted him um because this was like you know a weeks before and and at the time i didn't think the epstein would ever be a serious candidate to come to the cubs i was hoping to get ben sherrington as number two or somebody like that so when video epstein was like whoa is this true like is theo epstein really going to starbucks so i don't know if that concerns conspiracy but there's an unsubstantiated unsubstantiated rumor that ended up being correct somebody actually did see that and it was true Jeremy, that's a, that's a really good call is the Theo Epstein Starbucks sightings. That's a really good call. I like that. Um, and the start of a really nice era about a decade ago or so on the North side. Beyond baseball, though, any conspiracies that capture either of your imaginations or attention? I got uh, yes. a decent the one, Marlins, but... The Marlins cheated to win the 2003 NLCS. <laughs> that's still baseball. Yep. Well, you know, it, it's bigger than baseball. Uh, I'm not a super big conspiracy guy. I like uh, 
you know, I, I don't know what's out there, but uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I let's hear some of yours, Ronan. You, you're well, the conspiracy guy in the group. I am. I am. And there's one uh, that I will share, but I'm surprised by that, Jeremy, actually, because you're a big history guy. I am. And you know that history is filled with acts of governments deceiving their people and True. all the types of things that have happened over the years and the heinous crimes that have happened decade after decade after decade over the years. I'm surprised that you're not a little more into it, given how much it's tied in, especially to American history. Um, but one that I think got a spotlight here in 2021 has been UFOs. There have been a lot of questions about what's going on, a lot of interesting sightings, things coming from military officials. I was in Taos. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was in Moab, Utah, a couple of weeks ago, and we were sitting on the back patio, four or five of us, and it was twilight time. So like that time of the evening, we could still kind of get some sunlight in, but you could start to see stars and things popping up in the sky. And we were all sitting on this back patio. And we looked up and we're like, wow, that thing's really bright. Whatever that is above us, it's really, really bright. And one of the girls in the group has an app that if you point it at the sky, it identifies satellites and stars and planets and, and all that. And she pointed it up, nothing, right? Nothing peers on this thing. And we're all looking at it going, that is a bright light right above us. I mean, high above us, right? But clear as day. She looks back at her phone. We're kind of talking. We look back up about two minutes later, gone, completely gone. The thing hadn't been moving. There are things flying around somewhere out there. I love a good alien. I love a good UFO conspiracy. And it's gotten a lot of attention here in 2021. I think that there's more of that coming in 2022. Ronan, all we need on our Zoom, our Zoom call right here that we reduced to record, we need a little history channel Chiron below you. I'm not saying it's aliens but it's aliens. It was clearly an alien that we saw above Moab that day. Um, but I'm always looking up there. Yep. I don't know what it was, man. It was weird. And it, all of us were just like, wow, like we all saw it clear as day and then it was gone just like that. So I like that. Lots of other fun ones over the years, but I think that um, just unbelievable ones too that have ended up happening or come true in the last couple of years. It makes you think a little bit, you know? Yeah. And you know who, uh, uh, is really behind all of that in terms of it getting all the, the government information, the videos, everything like that is uh, the former Blink-182 guy who left the yeah. band to get involved and start these organizations to find out what's really out there. What do we know mm -hmm. about UFOs? And he's hired like some big time people, like real serious scientific and army people to delve into this. And so that's why we're getting all these videos now. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing, it, whether it's coming from another planet or it's something that is here on Earth, there are weird things getting caught on radar. And um, we've come a long way, though, from the 90s, those old VHS shaky handheld like camcorder footage of people getting like something in their backyard, a weather balloon or whatever in the backyard that people think is an alien. It's a little bit different now. Some of the stuff that's coming out from our government. And that's something that I'm interested in seeing where this goes. Now, I'll keep this this caveat real quick, because this is real off the beaten path. I will say this. There are shows on cable you can find that are just compendiums of people talking about things they've seen that they can't explain. Some of these shows make me a non-believer uh, to the point of how terrible some of these things are. A, a guy who hears strange noises from his backyard and he asks, are these are these the trumpets of the apocalypse? Uh, so 
Uh, Sounds I'm not, reasonable. Exactly. I'm not a non-believer, but you, you look at some of these shows like Finding Bigfoot and all that, and they kind of want to make me a non-believer because just because the the other side is so dumb and so poorly organized. So okay. I am I am more so than not a believer that there are things out there that we don't know and a lot of things about which we we know absolutely nothing. Um, but again, sometimes you just look at the the side of the believers and you go, boy, I'm just not sure I want to be on the same side of an issue as these people. Trump is the apocalypse in your backyard. Yeah, well, maybe they are actually in tune with something that you're not. And they see it's, it. You know what? You know what, Jeremy? It's, it's possible. They like men in black. It. Men in black. Tommy Lee Jones sees the tabloids and goes best investigative reporting on the planet. So maybe they are onto something. Maybe I'm the one who's in the dark here. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily put money on that. I, I just assume most of these sightings and such are various, you know, government, whether secret military planes, like whether American, Chinese, Russian, who knows, but something that has to do back here on our own terrestrial planet, as opposed to coming from outside of it. Sure. Well, it would be very alarming if it was another country that yes. had some of the capabilities that are there and what that could mean moving forward. So it's something that I like a good conspiracy. And uh, I thought then, Jeremy, you were saying the Cubs are leaking things oh, to yeah. Bruce Levine. I, I could just see you in the basement. You got the whiteboard going and you're putting all the pieces oh, yeah. together. Yarn, for, yarn from thumbtack to thumbtack, connecting the dots. I think Jed has a special phone in his office. maybe, uh, And it's just a direct line to Bruce Levine. He just picks Boy, it up. I, he goes, get me Bruce. I hope to someday be important enough to have a direct line to Bruce Levine. Talk about the pinnacle of achievement. You know, I've been doing some handiwork here around the apartment. I've installed some new lighting and things here. I'm going to install a phone that when I pick it up, it calls Randall. It just goes straight to Randall's cell phone. Any time of the day, any time of night, I can get him and we can chat. Big gray phone. Yeah, big gray phone. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the Cubs again here. We'll tie back into the Cubs. Uh, we're one year past the beginning of a, a lot of changes for the organization, and that was the move trading you Darvish to the San Diego Padres this coming off of a year where he was runner-up for the 2020 National League Cy Young. He finished second to Trevor Bauer, right in front of Jacob deGrom. You're thinking, all right, Cubs finally got this U Darvish, great pitcher that we've been waiting for. Now he's shipped off to San Diego. At the time, we were all hurting. We were optimistic about the bevy of prospects, what they could be, but we were hurting. A year later, Jeremy, how do we feel about this U Darvish trade? Well, you know, with the direction the Cubs are going now, I obviously I, I feel OK about it. Um, it, it hurt because you Darvish is such a great pitcher and we wanted the Cubs to be a winning team and you, you trade for a bunch of 18 year old kids, you know. But, you know, we saw the way the last year went. We saw all of our other guys get traded. So at now it's, you know, the Cubs jump started a little bit last year. And, and so looking back on it, you understand the situation. Um, and they got some good prospects and Owen Casey, I think, in my opinion, is an outstanding prospect who had an outstanding year in, in the Arizona complex league. And he struggled a little bit on his call up to low a, but he's, you know, 18 years old. There's there. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And I, and I think it, it was a good thing. You know, sometimes you just got to rip the bandaid off early. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still kind of mixed on it. Uh, I feel like in hindsight, it's proven to be a rather fortuitous deal. I can still say I think it wasn't a great move at the time because I think it kind of signaled the start of a little bit of a surrender that ultimately that through line carried all the way to July and and hit its, uh, I guess, its worst possible terminus. But for, from this standpoint, you know, the deal looks pretty prescient. Darvish had a little bit of a rough year in San Diego, whether that's uh, physically uh, a difficult year or whether that's just kind of the, the mentality of 
having to adjust to San Diego after having probably really just gotten comfortable in Chicago. Either way, you know, you certainly don't want to bet against Darvish bouncing back next year. He had a bit of a rough season. Um, you can't say whether he would have had that season in Chicago, but what the Cubs got back, I think another few seasons from now, I think we're going to look upon it uh, pretty kindly because I think at least one of those four players is going to prove to be a very productive major league regular. It certainly signaled a change in urgency with the organization, a look to the future. Was it a little bit easier too that you Darvish didn't really look like you Darvish last year, despite going to a ballpark that's pretty good for pitchers. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, and the Cubs beat him last year. And and the last probably great Jake Arrieta moment in a Cubs uniform when Jake Arrieta mowed down you Darvish and you Darvish didn't look great. I still think you Darvish is a solid pitcher. I still think his underlying metrics last year are probably pretty solid. So he probably should have. But he is getting older. He's going to be 35 years old. He It's not. And he had some problems health wise last year. So uh, that was one thing we talked about with you Darvish to trade last year is, you know, he is getting older. He's going to be 35. It's it's not a guarantee. He's just, he's had some struggles in the past with the Cubs. He has struggles that he's just going to go out there and dominate. And so, yeah, it makes it seem a little bit easier when he doesn't have a fantastic season, like he did where his results actually on the field in terms of runs allowed, were not great. They were below average. So, you know, I expect him to have a decent year next year, but he was kind of almost a symbolic of the flashy Padres, like a microcosm of their season being the flashy Padres and kind of struggling, especially towards the end. And for our listeners out there, Darvish last year in 30 starts, he posted a 422 ERA, still managed to put together 2.9 FWAR. So FWAR wise, he still had a pretty good season. His FIP, his fielding independent pitching, which for our listeners out there is a stat that measures how well a pitcher did in the things he can control, which is basically giving up home runs, strikeouts, walks, uh, 3.9, 3.90. So the FIP tells us that uh, the ERA wasn't entirely his fault. We know the Padres had their struggles last year. Um, so yeah, he had a little bit down near still, uh, 10.8 strikeouts per nine. The strikeout ability is always there for Darvish. His ERA plus only 92, which short version, he was about 8% worse than an average pitcher. So the numbers were a little up and down on him. There were some that say he still had a pretty good season and what he didn't do well wasn't entirely his fault, but a lot of the other issues or a lot of the other numbers were not kind to him. So in, in every, in most metrics, he had a down season and it does make it a little easier to swallow. You'd never better get, you'd never root against you, Darvish, great guy, great pitcher, but it does make it a little easier to swallow in, in hindsight. You know, maybe I'm giving too much benefit to pitchers as well, but I got to scratch my head a little bit too, looking at some of these stats. We know last year, sometimes during the season, MLB was using one baseball that tended to carry a little bit more. Other times last season, MLB used a different baseball that didn't carry or travel as well. The pitchers had no idea. The hitters had no idea. We were just sort of randomly thrown in there. So there's certain players like Darvish or Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs. You look at some starts last year and they give up seven, eight earned runs. You're like, man, what the hell was going on? Maybe those were some of those games where they were using the, the juiced ball. So I don't know what to make of it. I think Darvish is going to be a productive pitcher again next season for a better San Diego team. But I do think as difficult as it was at the time, this is going to be a long-term win for the Cubs. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a long-term win for the Cubs. I think they got some pretty good prospects back, even though they're young. Um, just to mention to Darvish, I he also has some health issues that played in. So that, and uh, he wasn't as great at command, like his walk rate went up. But I, I but, but just to focus, I I think they got some really good young prospects. Some of them struggled. Uh, um, unfortunately for the Cubs, that loss of the short season team, that you know across all of minor leagues, that really affected the Cubs because they have a lot 
18, 19 year old kind of shortstops guys playing. Some so they had to filter guys out and, you know, and end up sending guys like Ed Howard to places where they probably were overmatched. And one of them would be, uh, I think Ace and Santana, who was one of the guys they got, he was a little bit, oh, probably overmatched in South Carolina, uh, in Myrtle beach and had to be sent back down to uh, Arizona. But I think, I think these prospects are really good prospects. And I think, you know, as we saw with Owen Casey, like he was a stud, Reggie Preciado was a stud. So I, I'm excited to see what they could bring. Jeremy, I know you're a big prospect guy. I follow the minor leagues medium closely, not quite as closely as you do, because again, you're the prospect guy. But Owen Casey, Reggie Preciado, Ismail Mania, and Jason Santana. Of those four, who do we think has the best chance of being a productive major league regular? Well, I, I think right now, just because he was the most productive this past season and is the one that he jumped up all the way to uh, low A um, based off of you know, a product of Arizona complex league. I think you have to go with Owen Casey. Um, he had some big strikeout issues, especially as he jumped up, he's, you know, a bigger dude. He's probably a corner outfielder, but he hits the ball really hard. And he, he seems like he has a good approach in terms of being able to take a walk. And he's only 18 years old. You have to like, when he got jumped up to Myrtle beach, he was three years younger than the average age of the players in that league. So while he did struggle, he showed some good signs, still hitting the ball hard, still taking walks He's probably not going to be a great, you know, defensive player. Maybe have to find root for him on the field. Um, but I think just with the bat, because he hits the baseball so hard, he's uh, going to probably be have the highest uh, chance of being a productive major league regular. And Jeremy, it's funny you mentioned his defense. Apparently, uh, his mother came to his defense regarding his defense uh, earlier today. I, I don't know who's soliciting comments from her, but apparently her comments say that. Um, he hadn't faced or he hadn't dealt with an outdoor fly ball in a couple of years because of the uh, pandemic. He didn't get a chance to play in the minor leagues in 2020, obviously. Um, and that with a little bit of acclimation, he'll make a perfectly good, perfectly competent corner outfielder. So again, I don't know who is necessarily soliciting comments from uh, Owen Casey's mother of regarding his defense, but it's always good to have mom in your corner saying that once you get some time to acclimate, you'll be perfectly fine defensively. That is true. And we should also point out that uh, he's from Canada. So it's not like Canada is a huge baseball producing country. I mean, there's some great Canadians. I'm sure Big Ryan time. Dempster would be here to tell us all of them. But, you know, he had to play on a Canadian national team that went into the America and, and compete against some Americans. So he, he probably has a, a less of a development history than your average American coming from like a power program or state like california or something so he is a little bit raw i think and then the pandemic taking out season when you're 18 years old and taking all this development away with the minor leagues so i i think you know the more these guys play the better they will be and the more they will adjust as his mother said to playing in the outfield and we, we can't ignore the exchange rate one fly ball in canada is worth like what 0.84 of a fly ball in america so that could account for some of the issues too misjudging fly balls out there i think that has to be taken into account well, they love their Canadian sluggers here in Denver. Uh, Larry Walker, Justin Morneau, Owen Casey. I'm on, I'm on that bandwagon. I think he's going to be a really good Cub. And it's good to have a Canadian in the lineup. Add yeah. some pop. Somebody who can handle those Aprils at Wrigley Field. Definitely, definitely. We don't need a full Jorge Soler mask over the head, whatever. He's going to be out there in shorts. Yeah or not short baseball pass, but short sleeves. And, you know, out there hoping you know, some homers in the cold Wrigley air. You think that's still a, a big thing for players? Like, I feel like when we were kids, even 20 years ago, it was a big deal when certain players went to cold weather cities. Think about Moise Salou, his first year with the Cubs in 2002, what a disaster that was. 
are players better prepared for that now, or is it still a thing? I think it's a thing. I think, I think especially for players that live like all off season, not in cold weather cities, especially uh, Latin American players who spend a lot of their off seasons back home in Dominican. A lot of these guys, the only time they ever see cold is when they're playing in April in or in September in a cold weather city. So I think, you know, for a lot of players, I think that is a factor. I'll say it. I miss the Jorge Soler cold weather gear. I miss the full mask because, you know, the poor guy's just not feeling it out there. Uh, and, you know, that goes back to what season it was. It maybe 2005, Nafi Perez out there in a full balaclava with a really, really cold opening day at Wrigley. I like it. I like seeing the baseball players in the, the full cold weather gear. It's funny to me. That's all. It's just a funny visual element to a sport that is played chiefly in warmer weather. I like seeing it. Randall, yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Randall, I feel like you would know this, but I feel like there was a brief period of time where new era and baseball, they were putting out these hats with the flaps in the cold weather. You, you are correct. I but I feel like we have, haven't seen that recently. I may even have owned one of those hats. I think that probably goes in the annals of major league history of branded fashion on field gear that never quite took off. I know some people might remember it might've been Nike. It might've been majestic, but there were long sleeved undershirts that had like a colored dot matrix pattern on the elbow. I want to say 2005, 2006, those obviously died a slow death and went by the wayside, but Jeremy, you are correct. New era did market. And it may even have been for on field, a line of baseball caps that had a fold up flap on the back. And it was, it matched the hat in color and you could flip it down and it would cover the back of your neck, the back of your head and your ears. I may even have owned one of those, but you are correct. That was a thing. Cause I, I feel like I remember like Jimmy Rollins wearing one during the world series one year. And I'm thinking like, why is this going to be like a thing of the future? All these guys have these cold weather gear that they could wear, but then it kind of disappeared. Yeah. 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, the world series, those years were kind of test beds for things that new era and majestic and the other on-field apparel people were kind of testing to see if it would take off. And a lot of the time you'd see something worn in the world series wondering, gosh, is this going to become a thing? And spring training would roll around and it did not become a thing. Well, you know, it's one thing for the big leaguers who are pampered. They've got nice ballparks, clubhouses, all that. I think a lot about the particularly the Latin players that are in the minors. You're 18, 19, 20 years old. You wake up one day, you're in like Appleton, Wisconsin or Burlington, Iowa. It's 35 degrees out. There's nobody at the game and you got to play left field, you know, and, and, and you're in a different country. I mean, what's more different than Venezuela than Burlington, Iowa, like of all the places <laughs> you could be, that's got to be really difficult for those minor leaguers. You and know, that's and something that, yeah. And that was one of the reasons why they made that switch. Sorry. I, I thought you were done. Um, that was one of the more reasons why they made that switch with um, putting the Midwest League into high A and some of the other leagues into low A, like the Appy, uh, like, you know, Southeast League, just to get younger guys that would be more acclimated to America, or excuse me, the older players, more they, they would be ones more comfortable starting in colder weather. So that was yeah. a big reason why uh, Midwest League was flipped to the high A. The, the more you advance, the further north you get and, and the colder you get as, as you advance through the minors. Well, while we're talking about the minor leagues, some important news that impacts the Cubs system. The Iowa Cubs have been sold. They've been sold to a California-based gaming, entertainment, uh, global sports marketing company called Endeavor out of Beverly Hills, California. They buy the Iowa Cubs. They've bought uh, almost a dozen other minor league teams as well. But this is a big change for the Cubs 
who had been owned since 1999 by a team headed by Michael Gartner and some associates. So major changes in Des Moines. I was there a couple of weeks ago going, this is a nice city. This is going to be a good place for baseball moving forward, but maybe rightfully so some trepidation now in Des Moines. Like this is a big change. New owners taking over the iCubs. And Ronan, the reason I wanted us to discuss it, because this sale uh, became final at the early, the early part of the month, December 8th, 9th or so, and we just hadn't discussed it. But what, it, what came up to me is you mentioned that the Iowa Cubs ballpark could use some improvements. And anytime you see an ownership change, you wonder what kind of money are they going to be putting back into the ballpark and the team. Uh, I'm a little bit, I mean, the Iowa Cubs don't affect me personally, but I'm, I'm a little bit trepid on this because, you know, you see a team bought up by a conglomerate like this, that's buying up other teams. You wonder how much money are they going to put back into this? Is the goal just to buy these up and then spin them off and try and profit on that? So I'm a little curious to see how that goes. One thing I do want to note is the previous ownership group headed by Michael Gartner. They took some of the profits from that sale of the team and they distributed it among team and ballpark employees from janitors all the way up to vice presidents uh, based on seniority, based on tenure. That total sum was $600,000 and the, the highest tenured individual on that list got a $70,000 payout as a, I got a bonus, a thank you. And I, that's, that's wonderful. You know, these are people for whom I imagine that money makes a lot of difference. And so that's a real nice gesture by the former ownership group of the Iowa Cubs to take that money and give it back to the team and ballpark employees. Yeah, you taught you you that is a, a tremendous gesture. Uh Ronan, you taught me uh, something new about Des Moines that I never knew. I never knew about the Raccoon River. Uh oh yeah. That's uh, that's out there. I even my dad didn't know about the Raccoon River, and he's a native Iowan. Um, so we'll uh, all make, go visit the Raccoon River. Gotta make it out there to go to Des Moines. Uh, but yeah, you know, anytime a team is sold, it's interesting just to see, you know, what what are the plans that whoever is buying it for because the Myers teams get sold a lot. Um, and sometimes they're owned by all major organizations like this. that own many different teams and sometimes just individuals who end up moving them, whatever. I, I do think that I, I, I think it seems to me like this group probably sees a lot of value in, in owning these minor league baseball teams. Um, uh, you know, these triple a teams are probably even undervalued, you know, for the future of what it's going to be, especially now that they have some certainty with major league baseball, um, controlling all of minor league baseball it's no longer its own deal and so i i think i think there probably will be some you know upgrades to des moines i don't think uh it's gonna be like they're gonna leave des moines or something like that because i think you know the iowa cubs are a part of des moines they've been there for a long time there is a fan base there you know and they have the connection to the cubs i don't i don't imagine anything it will change with the um, the relationship with the Cubs. So, you know, I, it, it'll be interesting. We'll see if it ends up being a good thing for the people of Des Moines and the fans of the Iowa Cubs. Yeah, I'm not worried that the Iowa Cubs are going to be moved. They were, you know, they've been in Des Moines since before they were the Iowa Cubs, since they were the Iowa Oaks many decades ago. I wasn't too worried about them getting moved, but, you know, it, it just does raise the question of, how are how is a new ownership conglomerate like this where it's not private individuals it's a it's a company how are they going to reinvest in the ballpark um but yeah i wasn't too worried about the iowa cubs being moved um yeah but you know it just raises a question and it came to mind also because as we continue on this lockout the minor league season will go on regardless of whether there is a major league season or not. The only caveat being that players on the 40 man roster will not be permitted to play in those games. So it's maybe not super likely, but it's, it's a non-zero chance that there would be no major league Cubs, but you'd still have Iowa Cubs playing and Brennan Davis, you know, leading the charge down there. 
Um, so that that stuck that stood out to me as well. That uh, you know the minor leagues, the Iowa Cubs could be preparing to play a season in which they do not have a functioning parent club on the field at the time. So that's two reasons why it jumped out at me as newsworthy discussion is uh, improvements to the ballpark potentially, and again potentially playing a season without a major league team above them. And yeah. to point out, as we've seen in many videos on social media, um, minor league players are still training and at the organizational facilities like minor league players are still working out in mesa uh we see a lot of videos you know pitchers lifting weights and stuff like that so the minor leaguers are they're ready to go they're gearing to go for another season those minor leaguers think they're on top of the hill right now because the major leaguers can't show up um you know i i think i think iowa cubs fans particularly those that are in des moines do have a reason to be a little bit nervous because you've got this you know minor league baseball teams are so hyper local it's not even about the players. It's about the culture. You live in Des Moines. You live in that part of Iowa. This is the professional baseball team near you. And when those players move on from Iowa, you see them on TV playing at Wrigley Field for the Chicago Cubs. This The, the good thing, though, is that Endeavor has done some really good work with UFC. UFC has now marketable stars. They're all over social media. They get terrific ratings. Minor League Baseball has the potential to really grow regionally. I believe that. I think that it's something... You look at cities across the United States, you got the big cities, Chicago, New York, LA, tons of people in all those places. Now you've got this next tier of city that has blown up in the last 10 years, Austin, Denver, Nashville, Charlotte. What's the next tier beyond that? I think Des Moines is somewhere in that mix. You're, you're starting to get to a point where like, this is still a place where you can buy real estate. You can still have an urban experience. Concerts are coming through there. Pro sports are coming through there. There's things happening in that city now. Des Moines, 20 years from now, it's going to be a lot more people living there than there are now. So I think Endeavor can do a lot with this. I think it's easy to get to from Chicago. You can get these packages to get people out there to see that next generation of Cubs talent. But losing that family aspect or that local aspect is something that Endeavor has to be very, very particular about. Because it is a little different from the UFC in that People in Des Moines care about the Iowa Cubs. They care about the way the team is branded. They care about the way that that ballpark experience is. So you've got to be delicate, pump some money in there. It could be a huge return on investment, though, if they do it right. Exactly. I like. I, I think that you know they probably do see this as kind of an undervalued um, little industry, uh, AAA baseball, and they probably will. And you make good points about you know uh, a group because that owns it. They it might be a little sterile if they. If they, you know, if if they don't realize that each organization is is local to its own fan base, like the, each one has its own little, you know, uh, eccentricities, I guess yeah, every team does, um, even though they're not people, um, but that that make it, you know, comfortable for their fans and uh, that that they love, and you don't want every to make each one, you know. Uh, just some sterile mess of uh, like all nine organizations that they purchased are basically now all run the same, all the same. Um, yeah, but I, I do think, I don't think they would be doing this if they didn't think they were going to be able to turn this into something. Yeah. And I think they do see the, an opportunity. And, and uh, so I think overall it will, it'd probably be a good thing for the Iowa Cubs. Mm-hmm. And good for the raccoon river, get all those yeah. people flocking down there and looking at that beautiful piece of uh, geography out there. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, maybe, you know, as you said, maybe Des Moines will end up being a city of the future. You know, I, and again, I'm not saying it's going to be Denver 10 years from now, but if you just think about like, if you, if you wanted to invest in a city moving forward, like you've, you've missed the window in places like Denver and Charlotte and Nashville and all those places, where do you look 
next? Where's that next place beyond there? And somewhere on that list is a place like Des Moines. A lot of these AAA cities you look at and go, well, with a little bit of infrastructure, it's cheap, man. You can buy houses. You can buy land. Talk about that employee with the Iowa Cubs that got a $70,000 check. You can do a lot with seventy grand in Des Moines. There's not a lot of urban areas in the United States that still offer those type of opportunities. So it's safe. Other than tornadoes you know, and floods, I guess, you're at a pretty good place there in Des Moines. It's a nice place to raise a family. Des Moines, Iowa. What's, what's Pat say, Randall? Uh, he says the S's are silent, but the city is buzzing. And then Pat being the consummate salesman that he is, he'll usually insert a little bzz, bzz, and Coomer will ask, is that the city buzzing? It sure is, Rob. <laughs> well, clearly I was left smitten with Des Moines on my visit there a couple weeks ago, and I'm looking forward to all of us getting out there in April or May. Hopefully there'll be big league action too. But Iowa Cubs, Principal Park will be a lot of fun to get out there and see it and eventually get to all the minor league parks. Minor league baseball is a great tradition we have here in the United States. It's something that I want to see go on and thrive moving forward. And the fact that you can go to a ball game for 12 bucks or 5 bucks and see future major league talent, that's worth celebrating. And Jeremy, get pretty good I, seats. Yeah, and get really good seats. You and I a couple years ago got to see one of the final triple a games in colorado springs history we saw david Bodie in front of his fan section there that all drove down from longmont and niwat that was really cool to see it on uh, what was it avengers night yeah it was avengers yeah. night it had all the stars aligned for us we just needed randall with us yeah uh, too bad that randall wasn't there to see Very iron man bad. take dude iron man fought batman it was incredible yes and then it just ended the yeah. lights went out at the ballpark and i'm like is this the end of the show we all got sent home yeah <laughs> But uh, a lot of fun down there in Colorado Springs. No more AAA baseball here in the state of Colorado. Well, we mentioned at the top of the show, this is number 50. We got the 50 podcasts here this year. We're going to top that number next year. Number 50 is a number that's gotten some wear going all the way back to 1943. Randall, who's a 50 that kept, captures your attention? Well, uh, as I mentioned um as I mentioned on Twitter, as I so often do, that we were recording. Stan, of course, one of our loyal listeners, he points out Dan Heron, who you know played the latter half of the yeah. 2015 season. Dan Heron was a very good number 50. He has an interesting tenure as a Cub. Of course, I love it on Rowan Wick right now. I think he's doing very good things in that number. Something that jumps out to me about number 50 is that there was a gap of about uh, five seasons where it was not worn in the mid-90s. It was worn in 1992 by Alex Arias, who I have no idea who that is. And then it was not worn again until Jason Maxwell in 1998. So it went most of that name. decade without being worn. So that is interesting to me. Ronan, you said there's a name. Julian Tavares. Yeah. Number It was a number 50. Kent Merker, who was one of the architects of uh, some of that clubhouse strife between the, the team and the broadcasters in 2004, he was a number 50. Um, Larry Rothschild wore it as a coach for a time. Blake Parker, who's still kicking around Major League Baseball, I believe he played this season with an organ with a, a Major League team. He was a number fifty. It's been a it's been a number that hasn't stayed on a lot of guys for more than a half season or a season at a time. So Rowan Wick um, has already had three seasons in the number. I hope he continues on and brings a little stability to it because it's not been a number of great distinction in Cubs history. You know, there's some players in Cubs history. It's not that you hate them necessarily. I, I don't hate these people that I don't know or anything like that. But you, you mentioned the name and it's like, ah, oh, that, that asshole. Like Todd Hundley is a name that comes to mind. You hear that name, you're like, that guy's an asshole. Kent Merker, when I hear that name, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. That asshole messed up 2004. Yeah, that's, I'm, that's very fair. I'm just looking at this list of number 50s and there's a name on here. 
probably the, the, the only name in the last, you know, 30 years or so that I have no idea who this is. And I think of the same name, Alex maybe? Burnett in 2013. That is a name. I have no concept. Every other name, you know, since early nineties, probably 1992, Alex Rias Randall mentioned. I know of, I do not know who Alex Burnett in 2013 is. Well, Alex Burnett was a pitcher. He was not a particularly good pitcher for the 2013 Chicago Cubs. Great season that that was. He appeared in one game. One game. He allowed one hit in one inning. Um, and I believe that was it for him. He signed with the Cubs or he selected off waivers by the Cubs, May 27th, 2013. He was granted free agency that off season, but he only pitched in the one game for the Chicago Cubs. So he did not have a particularly distinguished career, but with the Cubs, but uh, he did have a productive career with the Cubs. He only allowed, uh, he only allowed the one hit. So uh, good for you, Alex Burnett, wherever you are. I have the vaguest memory of him, but at the same time, I may also be confusing him with somebody else. So maybe my memory of him is not all that great. Well, I, I was hoping it was AJ Burnett, but it wasn't AJ Burnett. Maybe I had misremembered no. that AJ Burnett had been a Cubs starter. Um, well, there is one name though there that we should probably mention who didn't wear it prob didn't wear this number in like um the best of his career, but Charlie Grimm as a coach and manager from 1963, Charlie Grimm, a legend in early Cubs history, you know, great um manager for the Cubs player. So, you know, there is some, a little bit of uh, at least one legendary guy on the list. Yeah. And yeah, uh, with apologies to um, Alex Burnett, I was in fact thinking of Alex Hinshaw, who <laughs> was a completely different pitcher in a completely different number. Um, but I guess they're both Alex's. So they've got that going for them. So yeah, I have no memory of Alex Burnett either. Sorry, Alex. Well, Randall, another player that wore 50 in that same season, 2013, Alex Burnett wore it. Cameron Lowe. What what should I remember about Cameron Lowe? I know Cameron Lowe. Lowe. That that he was a he was a decent starter for um uh, or, or maybe he wasn't decent, but I remember him coming up with I think the Rangers, I want to say. Jeremy, um, you are correct as you so often are. Yeah. So like that is a name I actually knew of. I, I barely remember him ever being with the Cubs, but I, I do remember Cameron Lowe as a player. Uh yeah. yes, Cameron Lowe did make a, a small handful of appearances for the Cubs. He appeared in seven games. Uh, he posted a 540 ERA over those seven games. Uh, Jeremy was correct. He did come up with the Texas Rangers. He did not have, oh, okay, I, I shouldn't say that. 2005, he won nine games for them. He posted a 342 ERA. Um, so yeah, and he posted a 134 ERA plus in that 2005 season for the Texas Rangers. So sorry, Cameron Lowe, I don't mean to sell your accomplishments short, but yes, chiefly a Ranger in his career, sometime with the Brewers and a very brief cup of coffee with the Cubs before I believe ending that season with the Atlanta Braves. So Cameron Lowe, a number, another great name for that wow. list of fifties in Cubs history. No yeah. memory of him pitching for the Cubs. What is he regarded as? What's something interesting about him, Jeremy, that, that would stand out, let's say, about Cameron Lowe. I'm putting you on the spot here. Cameron Lowe. So I just remember Cameron Lowe coming up as like a young pitcher with the Rangers in a time where I was kind of hoping the Rangers would do something because they had A-Rod. They had like some good bats thinking that, okay, these guys could be. And uh, no, I, I just think he was a guy who was expected to come up and be a solid pitcher and never really made it. So I don't know. But I do remember the Cubs kind of picking him up being like, oh, maybe we could on Cameron Lowe. Maybe we'll hit something. Well, I think Randall's going to like this a lot. He likes when I get cute with words. So the guy's name is Cameron Lowe, spelled L-O-E, but it's pronounced Lowe. One of the tallest players in Major League Baseball history. Cameron Lowe, six foot nine inches yeah. with the last name of Lowe. That's fun. That's that funny. Fun. Good job, Ronan. Good job. Look I do that. remember him being a giant. <laughs> when I woke up this morning, 
I had no idea I was going to be talking about Cameron Lowe, and here we are as we inch towards New Year's. Absolutely. The podcast, the podcast Year, takes us to fun places. You don't yeah. think you're going to wake up and talk about Cameron Lowe, but then you, you hit that microphone and here we are. I'm not a big New Year's guy, you know, in general. Um, I think I mentioned past like Valentine's Day, Halloween, New Year's, always kind of like not my favorite holidays. But, uh, you know, New Year's will be interesting. It's another year. We'll see the big 22 is coming. So it's going to be a fantastic year, the year of the 22. Um, so I, we'll see, you know, we've spent a couple of years together, Ronan. I know we went to Champaign, uh, watched, uh, the Illini take down the, uh, right. Indiana Hoosiers one New Year's Eve. That's right. That's right. Randall, are you a New Year's guy? You know, I, I was much more so when I was younger, I would get very, very twitchy. If I wasn't out being social on New Year's, I would say that has, um, cooled a fair bit in recent years as my taste for being around large crowds has diminished even prior to the pandemic. And as my taste for being around large crowds in maybe restaurants or places where uh, alcohol are sold, because that tends to make it not a whole lot better. Um, so I would say I am less a New Year's person than I once was. I think it's a good opportunity to keep it low key, keep it quiet, have a have a sip of something to celebrate, and then keep yourself away from the crowds. And that was my philosophy before the pandemic. I'd say during the pandemic, that is even more so my philosophy. So if you are going out into the teeming masses this New Year's, uh, be safe, make good decisions, but certainly enjoy yourself. And uh, I'd say be where you're going to be for Saturday by Saturday morning, because the Chicago area is due for a very heavy snowfall. We could mm -hmm. easily see upwards of six inches, the entire top north half of the state. Uh, so I would say uh, be wherever you're going to be for Saturday by early Saturday morning. Uh, don't plan on driving anywhere around noon Saturday, because I'm not sure it's going to be a great experience for you. What do you already have that little something planned? Uh, no, no, I do not. I, I will take the day as it comes and what whatever tomorrow night becomes is is fine with me because I, I got a beer you know maybe get a little something something so from lagunitas since you said it might be a little something uh, that's mm. a good that's a good plug jeremy they should be they should be paying us for the advertisement well, I, randall you know we could drink a beer we've we've you know or you can get a little you know a, a, what was that a vodka crayon you can get or something uh, I will be sure to keep you updated as to what I sip upon tomorrow night. I will I will be sure to file a full report. But at concerts, I always like going to concerts, and I assume you got something going, Ron. Well, you know, that's that's a good point. I It was interesting that a lot of concerts have been canceled for New Year's. Uh, Fish got their four nights at Madison Square Garden. That's getting postponed to April. They're going to do New Year's on April 20th. So that works. That works for the Fish fan base. You know, <laughs> Chicago actually – has two of the biggest jam band concerts going on for New Year's. And I'm surprised, Randall. Now, there's two bands playing, Randall, that are capturing the nation's attention on New Year's. At the Auditorium is the String Cheese Incident. And then at the Riv over in Uptown is Goose. And Randall, mm -hmm. I thought you'd be there front row against the rail at Goose counting down New Year's with the jam band. Boy, that's that's a missed opportunity on my part, Ron. And maybe I can uh, maybe I can still get tickets. Maybe I can buy my way in with my social media clout and my my podcast. I'll go up to the ticket window. Do you know who I am? I'm a co-host of Behind the Yellow Line. You got to let me in there. And I have no doubt that that would work on several levels. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I saw Lettuce on New Year's. Oh, that was a good, a good show. Yeah, it was like that, three, four good. years ago. I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. But uh, I knew about Street Cheese, and I did not know about Goose playing in Chicago. Well, it's, it's gotten a lot of attention because everywhere else, everybody's shutting down, especially mm -hmm. those jam bands, which a lot of the jam band fans are sort of so-so on the whole Vax thing. That's why there was some concern. But Fish shuts it down. They're doing a virtual stream from what's called the Ninth Cube, 
That'll be interesting on uh, New Year's Eve, but Chicago becoming the epicenter there. I love New Year's Eve. I think it is great. It's one of my favorite days of the year, but I agree with you, Randall. I think people put too much pressure on themselves yeah. that, oh, I have to go out. I will only go out on New Year's if it is for a concert, and I don't want that to be every year. Every couple of years, I like to catch a concert on New Year's. I saw a, a local band that I love called Circles Around the Sun up in Crested Butte. That was the New Year's just before the pandemic started. Laid low last year, going to lay low with Huxley this year. But I still love it. Counting down the time, a new year, new baseball season right around the corner. You've got all the bowl games on January 1st. The NFL playoffs are around the corner. I love it. It's a fun, exciting time of the year. And you got snow in the forecast. We've got snow in the forecast here in Denver. Finally, fires here today. It's been horrible weather across the front range today, but we're getting some snow. So that's worth celebrating. I'm looking forward to it, but I love New Year's. I think that people who don't love New Year's, I think they're doing it to themselves. You don't have to go to a bar. You don't have to go spend a bunch of money and be standing in crowded places, but you get to stay up till midnight. It's a new day, a new year, new opportunities. If you can't celebrate that, you're dour and sour, and I got no room for you. I so think some people on this pod stay up till midnight every day of the year. <laughs> I mean, I'm, oh, I, I shouldn't. Sure. I shouldn't, but sometimes I do. <laughs> so it's um, not a special occasion. Yeah, exactly right. That's not necessarily a, a holiday thing for me. That's a that's a couple times a week thing for me. Ronan, you, you make an excellent point. Moderation is key, and you know, I, I think occasionally it can be fun to go out on New Year's and when you're not in a pandemic, be in a, a larger crowd to celebrate. But moderation is key. You don't necessarily want to do that every year because you can get burned out on that real fast. But yeah, New Year's is a, is a holiday that, you know, you can kind of celebrate in your own way. It's a very versatile holiday. Well, Randall, I have intentions here because I am going to be staying back, uh, hanging out with the dog for New Year's. Every hour, starting oh, at noon central on the hour, I will FaceTime you to wish you Happy New Year in a new time zone. Good luck with that, Ronan. I wish you the best of luck with that. It seems reasonable. I think it seems like a great idea. Do we have any okay. resolutions going into next year? You know, I, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I'm of the belief that if there's something that needs fixing, uh, just go ahead and fix it. Don't don't you know make New Year's be your impetus for that, especially since I think statistically so few people adhere to their New Year's resolutions. So I'm going to say no. I do not have any New Year's resolutions. My New Year's resolution is to get Randall more pepped and excited on the podcast. Yes, I like it. A little uh, boost there of <laughs> a little uh, boost energy. A little just just you know we'll see we'll see how he is on New Year's and we'll just kick it all the way through 2022. It's going to be a big year. It is going to be a big year. It's an important year, a symbolic year, and it's going to be a good year for the Cubs. There's a New Year's resolution. Tom Ricketts spends more money on the big league roster. How does that sound? Sounds great like to me. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, let's shift gears here before we bring things home. Uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh, apparently, they're past COVID for the most part. Or many uh, of them of, are sort of still got a couple of role players in the and Lonzo Ball. He's not a role player. He's very important. He they're still got a couple guys in protocols. Uh, got Alex Caruso, great bench player, great defender, great backup point guard. He's dealing with, I believe, a foot injury. Uh, but they're better. They're in better shape now than they were a couple weeks ago. And they have won two games this week against the same okay. opponent, the Atlanta Hawks, who are dealing with COVID much in the same way that the Bulls were not all that long ago. They are missing a lot of guys. But yeah, this is this is a good team. This is a fun team to watch the bulls are appointment viewing right now well we're past christmas which means the nba season is kind of real now we're, we're past whatever's happening in october and november it's hardly the nba versus what we're going to be seeing after new year's a lot of excitement randall around the bulls i'm not watching a lot of it i don't think jeremy's watching a ton of it you are 
people are saying championship potential. Is is that real here, or is it just I, I hey, we've entirely, sucked? I am entirely too damaged as a sports fan and as a Chicago sports fan to say championship uh, in the NBA on December thirtieth. But this is a very this is a very good this is a very fun team, and with the way a lot of their role players are stepping up, this is an increasingly deep team. And of course, in in the NBA, you need depth, and this is a very deep and very effective team right now. They've weathered this storm of COVID. Hopefully they, they are weathering a couple of injuries right now and they're going out there and they are, they are putting on a show each and every night. So I, I am confident in saying that this team has a very, very good shot of making the playoffs. And I'm almost as confident as saying they are potentially a top four seed in the Eastern conference beyond that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you know, they are second in the conference right now uh, just behind the Brooklyn nets and they have beaten the Brooklyn nets twice so I don't want to say championship, but I am going to say that unlike the past a decade, you know, almost decade of the Bulls, this is a team that's worth watching all the way through till spring and the playoffs. And hopefully there's no season pause again, like there was in the COVID year. Hopefully we get a full season and a regular playoffs. This is a team worth following. If you are a Chicago sports fan, you have my permission. You have a free pass to turn on this Bulls team and get behind them. Wow, Randall, uh, you know, really advertising there for the Bulls. Absolutely. Uh, he's back on the bandwagon and back in oh, a yeah. big way. He's ready to shoot out. Me, personally, I have not really been following the Bulls that much other than to just check in on my boy Io every once in a while, see how he's doing. Looked like last night he had a pretty good game. And also, uh, my boy Malcolm Hill was out there for the Atlanta Hawks, and they were going at a little bit. Malcolm Hill had a pretty solid game. And, you know, nice to see Io and Malcolm Hill uh you know, embrace each other at the end of the game. And so it's nice to see IO back from the COVID list and the, and the COVID list for the Hawks, allowing Malcolm Hill to come out and play. So it's a little line. I battle we have there last night for the Hawks and the bulls and nice to see that happen. And IO doing a great job defensively on uh, Hawks star Trey young the other night in Atlanta. So IO second round pick, and he's playing key rotational minutes for the Chicago bulls team. So if, as we said, if there's anything that's going to get Jeremy on this bulls team, it's going to be a former Illini great playing key minutes down the stretch. Yeah, well, I think I'm going to uh... be, I think what I'm going to be watching is more along the lines of what Jeremy's watching the next couple months, big 10 conference basketball. That's got my attention right now. Indiana playing good basketball with a new head coach. I think they're tournament bound, a good showing here in the big 10. We'll put it over the top for them. Jeremy, I know you're thinking big 10 championship with the Illini, but that's certainly what's going to be worth watching. I think more than the NBA, at least for me, but it is fun that there is some excitement around the bulls. I'm seeing footage from the United center of that place rocking again. It's good for the NBA for the bulls to be good. It's good for the city of Chicago, for that team to be relevant and to compete. Ownership still has a long way to go to capture my attention and to really bring me back out as a loyal customer, but it's better than where they had been most of the last decade, which, you know, I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf gets enough crap for what the Chicago Bulls have been since MJ left. And that that has allowed to happen in a city like Chicago with a franchise like that. It's a black eye on the sport. It's a black eye on the city. At least they're competitive again. But they got a lot to do. I saw six championships in the 90s, a good couple of months here at the start of the year. Yeah, that's cool, but it doesn't really have my attention yet. Long way to go. Long yeah. way to go, and I'll be the first to admit that. Well, the Bears won a football game in the snow at the last minute. That was kind of fun. Yeah, it's a lost season and all that. But at least we got one last hurrah maybe before this all comes down. Um, Nagy, Pace, Jeremy, will they be employed after the final game of the year? Uh, logically, I would 
think not, you know, just because I would think not, especially for Matt Nagy, um, Ryan Pace, who knows, but logically you would think not. However, this is the Bears we're talking about. And after a big win, I know, you know, whatever against the Seahawks, I'm a little afraid of Nagy coming out and, you know, when he may maybe pulling off two more victories and somehow the seven and 10 season saves his job or something, but you know, that's really the only reason now not to root for them is if you think that somehow Nagy could save their job because the Bears traded their draft pick. So it's like a free route. You can root for them to go out and beat the Seahawks. We'll, we'll see. I It's hard for me. I never really hated Nagy. Like, I always thought he was – but some of the – I feel like he's gone worse as a coach over the four years. Like, Eddie Pinero broke Matt Nagy's brain, and it's yeah. been, like, unfortunate to see in those last three years because – I mean, the man is the third winningest coach in Bears history outside of George Hallis. So, like, if you, just since George Hallis, it's Dicka, Lovey, Nagy. He guaranteed himself a winning record last night by beating, or the other day by beating the Seahawks. So, if he gets fired this year, he's going to finish with a winning Bears career record. And those are the only three guys besides George Hallis who have ever done that. Jeremy, is that uh, Cody Parkey who broke? Yeah, sorry. Men? Yeah, Cody, Cody Parkey, Parkey a, name, say. a name who will live in infamy. Uh, some other Bears related news is Devin Hester, one of the best to ever do it. He was selected as a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. So he is one of the finalists uh, for that class. And I will I will line up around the block to see Devin Hester honored. Not literally, I'm not going anywhere, but figuratively, I will line up around the block to see Devin Hester, one of the most electric players that any of us have ever experienced. I'd say in any sport, even if it was as a specialist and for a relatively short period of time, every time he was back to receive the ball, you stopped what you were doing and you watched the TV or you watched the field. So uh, big props to Devin Hester selected as a finalist for the hall of fame. And then to do it at the biggest stage, opening kickoff of the super bowl, right? How badass is that? And it's it's crazy how the super bowl ended right after, right after that kick return. Like I don't remember anything else. You don't remember the Moose and Muhammad touchdown to put the bears up 14 to seven. I remember that. I remember it's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of fuzzy. Uh, Rex Gross and Moose and Muhammad bears are up 14, seven. Right. Right. You know, we're, we're getting the stories populating to the media about how much of a good guy Matt Nagy is. And okay. Maybe he's a good guy, a decent man. I don't care. He needs to be out of a job, and so does Ryan Pace. Neither of them have done anything to justify being around, even if they win these last two games of the year. It's the Giants and Minnesota. Is that yes. where it ends? Okay, so that's how it ends for the Bears this year. Yeah, they have a chance at seven wins. Probably not going to happen, but they both got to go. You've got to look forward, and there's a lot of questions about the future of the Bears organization. Arlington Heights still very much in the mix. Who knows what this franchise is going to look like over the next five, six, seven years? One thing is certain. Pace and Nagy have to go. What I'm worried about is going to happen is Nagy goes and Pace sticks around. How could you possibly give Pace another draft? How could you possibly give him the keys for another effort here of hiring a head coach and building the future of the organization? It can't happen, but I'm worried that might happen. So hopefully, not that I wish people lose their jobs. They're going to be fine. They'll have other things made a lot of money. They're going to be fine with their lives. They both need to go. And I wish it had happened already. It should happen after the final game of the year for if it doesn't before then. Yeah, I've just, I don't have faith in the Bears, no. man. I don't, you know, you would think there would, uh, other organizations might, um, but I, I would not be shocked to see them back another year. I think, you know, I think they like Brian Pace. So uh, even if you, as you said, Nan Eki goes, I think I wouldn't be shocked to see Brian Pace go. Um, I, 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 there are rumors that they're out there trying to find like a president of football operations. So it wouldn't surprise me if they hire somebody to, maybe make those decisions, put them above Ryan pace and then 
say like, okay, you can decide all these things, but then that would probably be another year of Brian Pace and Matt Nagy. So who knows? They, they need to be gone. You can't give them yeah. another year. I no. couldn't agree more. No. Um, anything at this point would be better than where it's at. And it sucks because there was a lot of hope and optimism in that first year. Mitch was working out and the Bears had things rolling. And to your point, Jeremy, double doink and then woof. Double doink and woof is how it's been since that night at Soldier Field. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I know Nick Foles pulled it out once again last night. Um, or excuse me, I keep I don't like keep saying last night, but Sunday night, Sunday. You're just uh, but you're Mitch, still in the glow of a win. Yeah, that still feels like it was last night. Right. I know. That was such like a crazy win, too. Demir yeah. Bird, man, the two-point conversion. I first of all, props for Nat Maggie for going for that too. Like <laughs> do it. You know, who cares? But uh I unfortunately to be, I would say over the past two years, Mitch Trubisky has been the best Bears quarterback. He's the only wow. one with the winning record in the Matt Nagy era. Well, well, ho- hopefully, Pro hopefully Bowler. Justin Fields can can uh, uh, overtake can... that particular position next Most season and going forward. Quarterback on the field with a new coaching staff. With a new coaching staff. Well, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I bailed at halftime. I'm like, this is why am I? What am I doing here? Part of it is game Missed was out. not on TV in Denver. So I had to do the illegal stream thing in order to watch it. It's kind of tedious watching it that way. And I had things to do. I had errands to run at halftime. I'm like, I'm out. I told Harriet, I said, this is over. And then I don't know, two hours later or whatever, I look at my phone, single text from Jeremy, all uppercase bears. bears. I'm like, what, what did they possibly do? Looked at the score and went, Oh, how wow. about that? How about Didn't that? Regret leaving. I still had errands to do, and I'm glad I knocked them out. But exactly. It's the exciting finish there. You, the There's... exciting to finish was very exciting. So you missed yeah. some, like that touchdown, Jimmy Graham, and that throw. To, I mean, that catch by Devere Bird was incredible on a two point conversion. It was a very exciting finish. You take your chances, though, with things like that. Like, yeah, I wish I had seen that, of course. But you know how many second halves of bears games I've watched in my life that have just made me bang my head against the wall so going, why am I sitting here? So we can all enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm out at halftime now. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. Some sad news though, Randall around the Chicago bears organization, ESPN Chicago reporter, Jeff Dickerson passes away at the age of 44. It's really a terrible story. Um, leaves behind an 11 year old son. Jeff Dickerson's wife passed away a couple of years ago from cancer. This is horrible. Randall. But in this tragedy, some amazing things happen. And we've seen some local celebrities, some sports organizations step up and donate some money here for the 11-year-old son of Jeff Dickerson. Well, it's a terrible thing. We know that cancer takes indiscriminately and dispassionately. It does not care who it affects. Uh, It takes and it takes and it takes. Jeff Dickerson passing away from colon cancer, as you said, just about two years after his wife passed away and they left behind their 11-year-old son. But as you said, a, a GoFundMe has been started by the family for the son's future. And as of this recording, it is up to over $900,000. And that is donations from across the NFL, from the Blackhawks, from Anthony Rizzo, from Andy Dalton, from Tom Ricketts, uh, Obvious Shirts, who produces the shirts that are becoming more and more ubiquitous. They, I believe, claim the largest single donation to this fund at uh, $25,000, if I'm not mistaken which that is a lot of money, especially for a a t-shirt maker, but uh, people from all walks of life everywhere in the sports world have kicked in. Adam Schefter has been pushing it. And, you know, I have my issues with Adam Schefter as to what he does and doesn't report, but he has given this a ton of publicity and it, it is again, cancer takes indiscriminately, but it is 
it, it is helpful. It is soothing to know that this young man's future is being increasingly taken care of, that his future education will be covered, his future athletic endeavors, Jeff Dickerson always beaming with pride as he discussed his son's uh, travel baseball and all that. And it is uh, it feels good to know that this young man's future is taken care of. And you can always tell somebody who has passed on by what people say about them after they are gone. And not a single person has had a bad word to say about Jeff Dickerson in eulogizing him. So uh, all condolences to the Dickerson family. And it is, again, it is good to know that his young son's future is increasingly being taken care of and that this, this young man will be sustained for a number of years to come financially by how people felt about his dad. And we should all leave behind a legacy like that. Well said, Randall. Yeah, uh, very sad story, obviously. And it's kind of crazy to me how the last few years you've had two um, kind of former Bears beat guys go too soon in terms of Jeff Dickerson and Von McClure, who had left to go to Atlanta, but still was a former Bears beat guy. Um, so, yeah, just a sad story. Uh, so that's unfortunate. 100%. You know, we're all on borrowed time. We don't know. The only thing that's inevitable is we are all going yep. to go. We don't know exactly. when it's going to happen. So, what a lesson to take here into the new year. Live your life. Go out there. Do things. Experience things. Take some challenges. Take on risks. Live. Because at any moment, at any point in time, things can just get taken away from you. And it doesn't make any sense. You can't make sense of it. You could look at this a million different ways, and, and it just it's horrible in every sense of it. But some good has come out of it, at least. And um, best luck you know, moving forward to that family. Just a horrible tragedy and a lesson for all of us as we Look here to the end of 2021 and ahead to 2022. Yeah, have an adventure some uh, 2022. Go out, live life, seize a day. It's the year of Randall. I'm telling you, folks, you got to make it happen. Let's end with this. I want to end on a good note. One prediction for 2022, Cubs specific. Uh, I, give me a prediction here for 2022. Randall, you're raising your hand. It's your year. What are we starting with? The Cubs are going to sign a big name shortstop and they are going to compete for the division in 2022. I cursed the 2021 Cubs by predicting they were going to compete for the division, but there's if there's one thing that I have learned and not learned in being a sports fan, it's learning my lesson. I have not learned my lesson. I will remain optimistic until I am proven wrong. The Cubs are going to compete in 2022 after another big free agent signing. Okay. Sounds good. That does sound good. Uh, I hope that comes to fruition. So I'm going to predict that the Cubs will have three all-stars next year. Just three. Just three. Only three. Who are they? Well, I think they're going to be uh, Kyle Hendricks. Okay. I think they're going to be, uh, well, let's see. I think it's going to be Marcus Stroman. I think two starters. And I think the third has yet to be named. Okay. All right. Correa, maybe. Maybe Possibly. Ian Happ. Possibly. Hey, back in the, the All-Star. The third might not be on the roster right now. Okay. That's what I was trying to get All at. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a little more along Randall's line. I think with expanded playoffs in 2022, the Chicago Cubs are going to see the postseason again, and we'll have that one-year blip where they're not playoff bound. I uh, think they've got a lot of holes, no question about it, but I do think the playoffs are expanding. The Cubs spent some money right before the break. They're going to spend more coming out of it. Milwaukee's good. St. Louis is competitive. The rest of the division, not so hot. Cubs are going to be right there with an extra wild card chance. That's what I'm thinking here as we get ready to wrap up 2021. And then one um, prediction for 2022, Randall J. Sanders will have a tweet go viral 
with more than 150 retweets. Wow. wow. Oh, All 150. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I feel like you've already had that happen to you before. I've, oh, had, I've have had it happen before. But oh, it's yeah. been a while. It's, it's been it's a while. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a whole election cycle since it happened. It's a, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Don't aspire to go viral, kids. It's not called viral because it's a good or fun thing. Randall's going viral in 2022 multiple times. Wow, that's my multiple, prediction for multiple next viral. Season. All right, big year. Let's go. Well, thank you for sticking with us here for the first season campaign year, whatever you want to call it, the first 50 episodes of Behind the Yellow Line. Special thanks to Stan. He's been listening to us from day one, been uh, supportive of us, really vocal on Twitter. We appreciate that. Everybody who's been listening to all of it. For Jeremy, Randall, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast, and we'll see you next year in the year of the Randall, 2022, right here talking Cubs baseball.